You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition of the podcast, we're going to be discussing Mikel Arteta's outburst with regards to the scheduling of some of our upcoming Premier League fixtures. We'll be waxing lyrical about Gabriel Martinelli. Uh, We'll also be taking some of your thoughts and questions from the chat box, as well as talking about four England call-ups from the Arsenal squad. I can't remember the last time that happened. So lots and lots to get into, as always. We were due to do a uh, Canton and Simeon show this evening uh, live on the channel. I was due to sit down with Tom, um, sort of chew some of the fat from last night's game. And, and talk all things Arsenal. But unfortunately, Tom had a work commitment come up, uh, which meant he couldn't do the show until a little bit later on. But I've only got a certain window to get the show done. So we agreed that we're going to reschedule that and we will get that to you guys as soon as possible. I know a few of you were looking forward to it in the chat. Um, uh, so I do apologise that we haven't been able to bring it to you, but you're stuck with me. Anyway, uh, OK, let's uh, let's get into it and let's start off with Mikel Arteta's comments during yesterday's press conference. Now, Mikel Arteta, uh, for the most part, was waxing lyrical about his team. He was highly complimentary of Arsenal's performance. He said that we'd closed the gap between ourselves and Liverpool, that in between the boxes, we were the better side. But unfortunately, games are decided in the penalty boxes more often than not. And unfortunately, the minor details let us down. He was asked about the Ramsdale era. He was asked about a couple of other players' his performances, but Mikel Arteta keeping his comments very, very generic, as you'd expect. But there was one bit in particular uh, that, that came from that press conference that has made a lot of social clips and that has been floating around the internet. And that was Mikel Arteta's comments with regards to the rescheduling of some of our fixtures. Now, for, for a long time now, We've been sitting here as Arsenal fans going, well, you know, we haven't got a game this week. Oh, look, another week without a game. And look, that's not because of us, okay? Of all the games that Arsenal had postponed due to COVID, right, only one of them was at our request. And that one game was the North London derby against Spurs because we had a combination of injuries, uh, COVID cases and various other things meant that we didn't have the squad available to play the game. Now. Arsenal maybe wanted to, uh, you know, try their luck on that particular occasion because of the difficulty of the fixture as well, which is, uh, you know, something that you have to take into note. But at the end of the day, many clubs had done it before us and many clubs had gotten away with it. So we were well within our rights to at least make an application. It was the Premier League that decided that the game should be called off. Obviously, Arsenal got a lot of heat for that. But for some reason, Liverpool didn't get any heat when they faked COVID cases um, in order to get their Carabao Cup tie with us rescheduled. So the energy around Arsenal is is very different and it's frustrating to see because we as Arsenal fans don't see our club as doing anything that all the other clubs haven't done themselves. But of course, for me, I take it this way. You know, when 
when you think about the fact that for years and years and years we've been kind of seen by everybody else as irrelevant and now people are talking about us again now people are getting triggered by us again now people are getting irritated by our managers comments now people are taking notice of us again it means that we're on the up or it means that at least people think looking from the outside in and feel as though arsenal are on the up and i certainly feel like we're on the up um and and i also think that Mikel Arteta will be frustrated because the heat did come our way when the North London derby got postponed. And as I said, that was the first time that Arsenal had done it. There were a number of other clubs in the Premier League who had done it on multiple occasions. And as I say, the energy wasn't quite the same for those guys. It wasn't quite the same for those clubs. So here we are now um, with some fixtures to catch up on. And I appreciate that the football calendar between now and the end of May is jam-packed, OK? There are lots of competitions going on. The FA Cup is going on. The Champions League is going on. The Europa League is still going. The Europa Conference League. And then, of course, the Premier League, which already has a backlog of fixtures because of those cases that I've mentioned. But the timing of, of some of our fixtures, the timing in which some of those games in hand have been slotted in, is just simply not fair. Now, let me make this clear. I don't have a problem with playing Wednesday, Saturday. OK, if you are um, a, t a club, a team with aspirations of playing in the Champions League, you need to be able to play Wednesday, Saturday. OK, it's as simple as that. I wouldn't I would like for our games in hand to be slotted in in weeks where we haven't got games necessarily that would take more out of us, i.e. a game against Liverpool, i.e. a game away at Chelsea. But we can't have. Uh, you know, it all our own way. So I'm not even upset that the Chelsea game's been put in before Man United. I'm not upset that Liverpool was slotted in before a trip away to Aston Villa. What I'm upset about is the kickoff times that we then have to deal with at the weekend. That's the problem. That's what Mikel Arteta's problem is here. It's not that Arsenal have to play Wednesday, Saturday. It's that Arsenal have to play Wednesday night and then early Saturday. Now, Mikel Arteta is getting so much stick on social media today from opposition fans. I've seen it quote tweeted as pathetic. I've seen all sorts of comments from various different people who support various different clubs. Where was that energy when Jurgen Klopp was moaning about the fixtures? Where was that energy when Oli Gunnar Solskjaer was moaning about the fixtures? It simply wasn't there. Um, and, and that tells me that people are, are thinking about Arsenal again and that people are looking at Arsenal as a relevant force again. And I'm really, really pleased with that. And I'm pleased that Mikel Arteta sat up and made the comment and almost kind of threw it back at the Premier League because for I've, I've long said, you know, the Premier League is a, is a wonderful product. It's a wonderful football league. It's the very, very best in the world. And I never understand why the authorities don't think more about the quality of the fixtures. Right. So you've got a game between um, Arsenal and Chelsea on a Wednesday night, okay? Midweek game is going to be televised. Everybody will be interested. Everybody will be watching it. Great for TV audiences. I get it. I get why you've put it there. Then on the Saturday, Arsenal take on Manchester United in a game that could be pivotal in the race for the top four, a game that could ultimately decide who finishes in the top four. And instead of looking at the whole situation and thinking, how can we ensure that both teams are at their best, both teams are at their absolute maximums so that we can get the best possible football match, so that our product can be seen in the best possible light. 
they make a decision that cripples one of the teams and, and uh, you know, undoubtedly will impact the level of one of the teams because they're having to play a few days earlier. Now, Manchester United play that same week against Liverpool, but they play on the Tuesday. So they get an extra day's rest. That's why you're not hearing too many complaints from Ralph Rangnick. But it's it's really frustrating that when Mikel Arteta says the same thing that managers have been saying for years and years, he isn't the first to make this comment and this observation and to be frustrated by the fixture scheduling put in place by the Premier League. He isn't the first and he certainly isn't going to be the last. But as I say, the fact that people are talking about it, it means we're relevant again. It means at least people see us as being relevant again. Now, look, I am, um, you know, I, I I don't, you know, I, I don't have any problem with our manager coming out and saying what he said. And I think he was spot on and I'm glad he said it. Uh, and I'm glad that Arsenal have, have been in dialogue with the Premier League over refereeing decisions. I'm glad that Arsenal have been in dialogue with the Premier League about this because I don't want to see Arsenal pushed around. And, you know, we've seen for years and years and years, the big, powerful clubs, they normally get what they want. And it's time we started acting like a big one again. It really is. Uh, let me say uh, a few hellos in the chat, because lots of you are commenting about my background today. Um, listen, I've got a problem with my laptop. Uh, my laptop yesterday in the morning decided that it didn't want to work anymore. So I've had to dig out an old laptop and just hope that it will get me through for the next couple of days while it's being repaired. Um, and I don't have all my normal backgrounds uh, available to me. And I just typed in studio background. This is what I got. Lots of you. I look like I'm on the Starship Enterprise. It's actually supposed to be a studio, I think. I typed in studio anyway. But I get what you mean. It does look a bit, a bit like a spaceship as well. Lots of you in the live chat. I hope you guys uh, are all good. Um, Social DRG says, wait, has Harry gone for the bald look under that hat? No way, mate. Look at this. Nice, healthy set of hair. Nope, it's still here. <laughs> it's just, um, it's just, I couldn't be bothered to sort it out. You know, I get a lot of stick for that sometimes on here as well. Who was it that said to me a couple of weeks ago on the live stream? Harry, take the hat off and go and comb your bloody hair. I can't remember. But one of you, um, one of you said it anyway. So that's that's my thoughts on, on what Mikel Arteta had to say. I, I think he was right to to bring up the point. I think he was right to have a go. And I think it is um, fair to feel that, you know, Arsenal are a little bit hard done by um, in all of this. And, and I'm glad, as I say, that the manager's come out and spoken about it. Just a quick reminder, if you are live with us in the chat box, please do hit that like button. It really, really does help make sure you're subscribed to the channel as well. If you're new, that also helps. And uh, and please uh, do get involved in the comment section. We're going to be taking some of your questions a little bit later on. Um, let's circle back to the game last night. Now, I gave you my post-match reaction, uh, first of all, from Emirates Stadium, and then second, uh, a little bit later on from back here uh, when I managed to get home. And um, and and my view is is pretty much the same. You know, yes, it was disappointing. Yes, it is frustrating. Yes, you know, we you know we we felt going into this game like we had an opportunity to take something from Liverpool. But you know, on reflection and having watched the game back uh, for the most part again today, I think there are a lot more positives to take away than negatives. You know, the goalkeeper got done at his near post doesn't often happen to Aaron Ramsdale. He's been sensational all season and unfortunately just switched off at that key moment. But other than that, I thought we competed very well with Liverpool. I thought we were um, 
in spells the better side. Um, you know, it wasn't enough to beat a Liverpool side who were incredibly strong and to get over the line uh, and to get us the goals that we needed to have something to hold on to. But we we asked, I, I think I agree with Mikel Arteta when he says we're bridging that gap. We're still not there yet. We're still quite away, away from the likes of Liverpool, but we are moving in the right direction. And this result should not derail the perform, uh, sorry, the level or, or, or all the work that we've done over the last few months, because, you know, confidence takes time to build up. And you'd like to think that we've built enough confidence now to be able to look back at yesterday's performance and say, OK, it was a pretty good performance. We know what we did wrong. We know that we lost out in the minor details. Um, but, you know, we're, we're in a position where we still believe and still feel like we're moving in the right direction. It it shouldn't be, you know, confidence is, is something that's very hard to build up, as I say, but it's, it shouldn't be something that unravels so quickly. And we've got a huge, huge game against Aston Villa at the weekend. I'm not worried anymore about how Arsenal will bounce back mentally. I think having watched Arsenal bounce back from a number of setbacks this season, I now have a, a greater confidence in the mental side of this team and in, in the fact that psychologically they're a lot stronger. What my worry is about the game against Aston Villa is that, first of all, Aston Villa are a very decent side. Second of all, it's away at Villa Park, which is never an easy place to go. And thirdly, it's about the physical element of the game. How much did that game take out of us? Now, we know we took Bukayo Saka off. We took Martin Odegaard off a little bit earlier yesterday. And we hope that that means there'll be that little bit fresher going into that game. But it's what intrigues me is how managers deal with these types of periods. You know, do you... Obviously, you're going to train between the two games, but do you train properly? Do you focus on tactics? Do you uh, lighten the workload a little bit? I'd imagine they will. Mikel Arteta said that the players will rest, they'll eat well, and they'll be prepared for the game on Saturday, which kind of reading between the lines suggests that there is going to be, um, or, or, or there isn't going to be the kind of intense kind of work regime that you'd imagine they'd normally have. Uh, just because of the proximity between these two fixtures. But you've got to be incredible, uh, sorry, incredibly fit, haven't you, to play the way that Arsenal are playing at the moment. And, you know, you watched it yesterday and it wasn't very, it wasn't relenting. It didn't just drop off the side of a cliff at any point. I thought we paced ourselves quite well. I think what we've got better at is managing the game in terms of managing our energy. You can see sometimes, I know we want to play this high intensity football and there have been times where Aaron Ramsdale's got the ball and like teammates, there was one incident yesterday where Ramsdale got the ball in his hands and Xhaka was like demanding it straight away. And Ramsdale was kind of just like chill the hell out. And um, and I think that's important. I think that it's important that sometimes they recognise that you can't play like that at 100 miles per hour for 90 minutes. And there needs to be breathers in the right moment. So, um, yeah, it's good to see Arsenal being a little bit more streetwise in that sense as well. I want to talk about Gabriel Martinelli. I waxed lyrical about him last night because he is, um, you know, such a sensational player. Some people have described his performance last night as a coming of age performance. I'm not sure that I'd go that far just because what we saw from Martinelli, we know it's there. You know, I don't think we really learned an awful lot about Gabriel Martinelli yesterday. We know that he's incredibly good at plucking long balls out of the air, bringing them down under pressure and then taking on his man. We know that he's incredibly uh, willing to, when he gets the ball in those wide areas, to drive at people. And that's something that 
I actually think Bukayo Saka could do more of on the other side. Um, I think he's added more of it to his game this season. But I just think with his trickery, with his pace, with his ability to drop the shoulder, he could do it to a much uh, greater effect as well. But he just he gives us an outlet. He gives us work rate. He gives us explosion um, or explosivity, I guess, is probably the word. He just gives us so, so much. I'm thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying watching Martinelli's development. And I think Mikel Arteta deserves credit here as well. Because there are differences to Martinelli's game now. He plays with gears. He shifts up and he shifts down. And that makes him less predictable. He is far more mature, I think, in his positioning. I think he's far more mature in his decision making. You know, there were a couple of instances yesterday where he showed brilliant skill to fashion creative uh, and crossing opportunities from wide areas. He put the ball across the six yard box, and unfortunately, nobody was there. Now, maybe with a better striker, with a more prolific striker, uh, with someone whose first thought is to get into the six-yard box, we'd have seen some joy from those moments. But that doesn't take away from Martinelli. The flip side is that I think Martinelli, knowing that Alexander Lacazette may not be in those areas, probably needs to be a little bit more cool and a little bit more composed in those situations and look up and try to pick out an Arsenal shirt as opposed to hitting the right areas. There are some teams that play like that, right? There are teams, particularly in history, that know that certain channels work for them, that they kind of build this telepathy in and amongst each other. And they know that if I put the ball in this area, my colleague should be there. But at Arsenal, I don't think I, I don't think we know that Lacazette can get into those areas because I don't think he can. I think the work rate is too much. He drops deep and sometimes it's too much for him to get to the edge of the six-yard box. And, and that's a problem, you know, and it's a, an area of development for us. And it's a an issue that I think we're going to need to deal with in the summer. Well, we know we're going to need to deal with in the summer. We've been talking about it, you know, for, for months now. We need a new striker. We need a striker to come in to give us the hold-up play uh, that Lacazette does, to give us the work rate that Lacazette does, but also to be um, a fox in the box, to be a poacher, to be the guy on the edge of the penalty area, on the edge of the six-yard box, who comes alive when the ball breaks in those areas. So that's what we need. Um, but we know that. We knew that before yesterday. Going back to the Martinelli thing, though, just before we, we do move on from Gabriel Martinelli, I wanted to touch on the way Mikel Arteta's coached him and the way Mikel Arteta's developed him, because I've talked about various aspects of his game that I think have improved. But you also have to give Mikel Arteta for uh, credit for kind of resisting the noise before, you know, Martinelli had come back from this long injury. We heard after last season that there were concerns over his fitness and that's why he was used quite sparingly. But everybody in the fan base assumed they knew better. I mean, the amount of conversations I had with Arsenal fans, Arsenal uh, podcasters, Arsenal bloggers, Arsenal writers, who kept just simply saying to me, no, Mikel Arteta, he doesn't like Gabriel Martinelli. He doesn't rate him. It was complete and utter nonsense because he's now keeping out the player that Mikel Arteta not only handed the number 10 shirt, but handed a very big and lucrative contract to um, just a little while ago in Emil Smith-Rowe. Look, for what it's worth, I want to see Emil Smith-Rowe back in the team. I think that some of those chances we're talking about, he's proven this season that he is he is switched on and he can get into those areas and he can make things happen. Um, so I do wish that there was a way of getting him back into the team as well. But after a performance like that last night from Gabriel Martinelli, how can you drop him? 
You know, he gave Trent Alexander-Arnold a torrid time. I've seen Liverpool fans kind of defending Trent on social media over the last sort of few hours saying, well, you know, you can say what you want about Martinelli roasting him, but Martinelli didn't score. Yeah, because because his finishing wasn't quite there because he, you know, got into the right positions, but his final ball wasn't quite there. Not because he didn't get into those positions, not because you nullified him. He had Trent Alexander-Arnold on toast last night. And there's always been a debate and question marks around Alexander-Arnold as a defender. We all know what he offers the other way. We all know that he's got a brilliant right foot, wonderful delivery. But I think that Gabriel Martinelli exposed a lot of those flaws. And I think there will be other people who will look now at Trent Alexander-Arnold and say, well, Gabriel Martinelli, um, you know, has given him a torrid time. Why can't I? Now, not everybody's as quick as Gabriel Martinelli. Not everybody's as explosive as Martinelli. Not everybody's as direct as Martinelli. And not everybody plays in a system that allows the winger to have the freedom. And Martinelli plays as a left forward. He doesn't play as a winger. He plays as a left forward. And um, and I thought he gave a brilliant account of himself yesterday. And, and as I say, gave an England international, a Champions League winner, a really, really difficult time. OK, uh, some England call-ups. Gareth Southgate announced his England squad earlier today. In it are Aaron Ramsdale, Ben White, Bakayo Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe. And I'm delighted for all of them because I know what it means um, to those guys to represent England. Emil Smith-Rowe surprised me a little bit that he was included, not because I don't think he's good enough. Of course, I think he's good enough, but he hasn't really played an awful lot of late. And I wondered if... Gareth Southgate might use that as an excuse to leave him out this time just to maybe accommodate somebody else who's making a stronger case. But it's clear that Gareth Southgate feels he is a part of England's future, sees him uh, as a future regular and, and feels that he wants to keep him in and around the group. And, and the experience of joining up with the England squad for the upcoming friendlies will be beneficial to the young man. So Emil Smith-Rowe in there, despite me uh, being a little bit surprised about that. Glad to see Ben White in there as well. Um, I am surprised, though, that another player, centre-back, was left out of that squad. And that is Fikayo Tomori, who's gone over to Milan and he's playing brilliantly, I think, for Milan. Um, and is much better than a Tyrone Mings. He's in much better form currently than a Harry Maguire. So I think he can feel a little bit hard done by it, the fact that he's been left out. Um but from an Arsenal perspective, White's in there. Um, it's great to see. We all knew that Saka would be in there. As for Ramsdale, I think he's got a real opportunity here because he's kind of come to Arsenal and he's taken things up a level and he's now doing it on a much bigger stage. And there is nobody in the world that is going to convince me today, despite what happened last night, despite the mistake, that Jordan Pickford is a better goalkeeper at present than Aaron Ramsdale. So I think we, you know, I think we can expect to see Aaron Ramsdale get some game time. And I think we can expect to see Aaron Ramsdale, if he continues in the same vein, uh, challenging Jordan Pickford and probably taking that number one spot away from him. You know, one of the things that Gareth Southgate has always valued in Jordan Pickford, or so we're told or led to believe, was his distribution. Well, Aaron Ramsdale's distribution is even better. So I think he'll feel he's got a really big chance now of nicking in there and taking that number one spot away. OK, let's take some of your questions from the live chat box. Uh, get them in for me um, and I'll pick up as many of them as I possibly can between now 
and the end of the stream. If you are watching us live on YouTube, please do hit that like button. Let's get up to 100 likes. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel if you're new as we continue on route towards 20,000 subscribers. Still got a lot of work to do, but hopefully we can achieve that by the end of the season. Let's take this one from Social DRG. Was Martinelli trying to show Klopp what he can do yesterday? Felt like he tried to up his game to impress. I don't think Martinelli's after a move to Liverpool. I think Martinelli's very, very happy at Arsenal, contrary to what some people have said over the last 12 months. I think he's enjoying it. I think he's enjoying being a fan favourite. I think he's enjoying the energy, the buzz, the intensity that Mikel Arteta has brought to the side and how that then translates into the crowd. Because again, the atmosphere last night was electric. I, I think naturally, if you know that a manager has uh, who you admire and respect, and I'm sure he does admire and respect Jurgen Klopp, has singled you out for praise it does give you a bit of an incentive to kind of say, well, yeah, I, I need to live up to that now and I need to prove um, that that praise is justified and warranted. So maybe that was part of the reason that he did up his game, but um, I'm not worried about Gabriel Martinelli going anywhere at this point. Uh, what else have we got in the chat? Um, Hardik Sharma says, Harry in space. Yeah, man. <laughs> uh, what else have we got? Uh, Afsar Gunner says, Harry, it's better for Arsenal that our players do not play for England. Yeah, look, in an ideal world, I'd love to wrap all our players up in cotton wool every time an international break comes along. But that's not the reality, Afsar. Um, you know, to deny these players of the opportunity to play for their country, I think would be unfair. It isn't allowed as well. Um, but I just think that, you know, it gives them immense pride and it gives them uh, a confidence that, you know, maybe they can't get at club level. So, yeah, I'm... Uh, Look, in an ideal world, I don't want them to play. I want them to stay rested, as I say, wrap them up in cotton wool, bubble wrap, whatever, um, and, and stay home on their sofas until the next Arsenal game. But we know that's not the reality. Um, so because of that, yeah, I think we have to give them, um, you know, all the support in the world and wish them all the best. Uh, Marshall says, Harry, do you think Gallagher is better than Emil Smith-Rowe? Nope. Um, I don't think they're the same player either. I think that Gallagher could be a good fit in the role that Xhaka is playing now, that advanced left midfielder role where he has the freedom to get forward, but also needs the legs to get back and tuck in and protect. I think Conor Gallagher would actually be a good option in that role. But remember, Conor Gallagher is owned by Chelsea and um, same like Armando Brogia. You know, these are players that are very good, very promising. They're catching people's eyes, but the likelihood of a direct rival being able to get hold of them is, is very low unless the Chelsea situation um, continues to cripple them and we can take advantage of that. I don't know. I, I like Conor Gallagher. I really, really do. I think he's a fantastic player, but I don't think he's the same player as Emil Smith-Rowe for me. Martin says, would Lautaro Martinez change last night's result? Um, maybe, you know, he'd, he'd give us a bit more buzz up top, a bit more uh, mobility. He might have got onto the edge of the six-yard box and either one of those Gabriel Martinelli crosses, but these are all what ifs, you know, it's, um, you know, would we have won the game if we had prime Diego Maradona in the team? Yeah, we would, but it's irrelevant because it, it wasn't the case. So I, I get what you're saying in that would a, an elite striker make the difference? And I think he would. I think that's what we're missing. I think that's the next stage of development for this team. Um, I think that's, um, that's really, really important. Uh, but, 
you know, we, we don't have a Lautaro Martinez at the moment. We do know that we need a striker. Um, and uh, and hopefully in the summer we will get one. The Smith says, uh, do you think Pepe and Smith Rowe start against Villa? I don't think he'll bring both of them in. I think you might see Smith Rowe come in. Um, but I, I don't expect both of them to start. I think Bukayo Saka will start. I think that's why he came off yesterday. Uh, what else have we got? Moss, Tamori and other Canadians always get underrated, underappreciated, eh? Um, reference in my thoughts on Jonathan David, who I, let me repeat again, I don't think is crap. I just don't think he is necessarily the man I'd go for if I was handed the checkbook and asked to go and sign Arsenal's next big striker. Uh, but for Kaio Tomori, he might, he might be born uh, in Canada, Moss, but he's opted to play for England, which is why he's in this conversation. So, um, <laughs> so I guess it doesn't really matter that he's Canadian because he's not going to be playing for them anytime soon. Uh, Sam says that uh, what has happened to Tommy Yasu? Yeah, look, I've expressed some concern about this in the last few weeks. It is worrying, it is concerning that we don't seem to be getting to the end of this Tommy Yasu injury saga. We keep hearing that he's back training, that the club don't want to push him too hard, that they are worried about the current calf issue that he has. But it is worrying and it is concerning. And by the way, while we're on the subject of right backs, I can't believe I almost forgot to mention this. Cedric Suarez has been called up to the Portugal squad. That shows, doesn't it, that he has, um, has has made an impression over the last few weeks when he's been asked to deputise. So congratulations to Cedric because he deserves it. Uh, what else have we got in the chat? Afsar says, that, Harry, I can't understand the negativity of our fans after last night's defeat. Why are people so negative? We played the best team on the planet and lost. Yeah, look, I, me too. I'm, I'm baffled by it. You know, I'm baffled by it. I think... There's a there's a willingness, isn't there, or there's a there's a desire to, if you really were anti Mikel Arteta, to be proven right, and I think that drives a lot of agendas, and that drives a lot of people's opinions, or at least what they say in public. Um, I also think there's an element of delusion to it. You know, I've I've said this for years now. Arsenal aren't on the same level as the Liverpool's and the Manchester City, so when we do get beaten by them, well, that's the expected outcome. It's not a disaster right? It's a disaster when you get beaten fives and sixes. But when you're competitive, as we were against City on New Year's Day and as we were last night, then I think you just have to accept that we've bridged the gap, but we're just not quite there yet. And um, and so patience is, is necessary. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Abhishek says, uh, who do you want as a striker in the summer, Harry? Love your work. Thank you so much, mate. Who do I want? Erling Haaland <laughs> or Robert Lewandowski. But I don't think we're going to get any of those guys. Look, I think it's going to be interesting to see how Arsenal play this because we were told, weren't we, by Edu and co that the idea initially was to, to build a new core and a new spine that would be young, that would be, uh, you know, up and coming, that would have sell-on value. Um, and and of the right type of characters. And we did that in the summer. We went and bought in White. We went and bought in Tomiyasu. We bought Ramsdale in. We bought Odegaard in. We bought Nuno in. We bought a number of players in to kind of rebuild the, the, the core of that squad. We'd signed both Gabriel and Thomas Partey in the summer before that was the kind of first steps. So we, um, 
we then got to the start of this season and obviously we had players missing and we had that dreadful start and the, the rhetoric coming from the club was, well, wait and see what this team is when everybody's available. And they were right. You know, Edu was right because when everybody returned to fitness, our form, you know, improved dramatically. And now we're in a position where many would say we're in pole position to go and finish in the top four, which is, I believe, beyond what most people thought we were going to achieve this season. So then we heard, though, from Edu that the next phase would be that we're going to add quality and experience to the picture, i.e. we weren't going to always be looking for the young thing and the next best thing. We were going to be looking for the real deal at some point. And it's going to be interesting in the striking position to see how Arsenal approach this. Will they go out and bring somebody in like, a, you know, an Alexander Isak or a Jonathan David, as, as Moss always says, who has shown promise and has shown a lot of qualities that would suit us, but isn't quite at that level yet where they're a massive difference maker. And what I mean by that is Alexander Isak's goal return hasn't been great. You know, Jonathan David's goal return is much better, but he's playing in a, in a weaker league. And, and so what I want to know is, do we break the bank in, in the sense of going for somebody proven or do we go for somebody who's kind of semi-proven like those guys, but has the potential to then go on? I think finances will dictate that in a lot of ways. I think it's not just a choice for Arsenal to make, you know, do we want a Erling Haaland or do we want a, a Jonathan David? And by the way, I'm not saying Erling Haaland's going to come to Arsenal. I'd, I think that's pretty much impossible. But the point I'm trying to make is, do you go for someone who's a bit older, who's a bit more experienced, who's a bit more of a finished article, or do you continue down the route of buying someone who is likely or you think is going to be the next best thing? There is an element of risk to that. There's an element of risk to every transfer, but there's a greater element of risk uh, to bring in somebody in later on in their career because it's then difficult to move them on um, and their level can drop based on that very kind of issue. So who do I want? Look, I, th I think that we need to find somewhere in between some kind of middle ground. We're not going to get a Lewandowski and we're not going to get Haaland. We're not going to get an Mbappe. So we need to look at players in the ilk of an Alexander Isak, you know, can he add more goals to his game? I'm sure he can. Last season, he had a much better season in terms of outputs. So he's proven that he can do it. But of course, um, that's going to cost us a lot of money. And so that risk needs to be weighed up. It needs to be calculated. And at this point now, you know, everybody says to me, who do I want? And I've mentioned a few players uh, over the last few months. The one that caught my eye this week and understandably because I, I covered the game that he was playing in was Darwin Nunez. I'd be quite happy with him. And, and the reason I'd be happy with Darwin Nunez is, is this reason, because I think contrary to some reports that have been doing the rounds since he scored the winning goal at Ajax, I think he'd be attainable for a decent fee. And so although there is a risk in going and bringing Darwin Nunez in, I think that the risk is is somewhat mitigated by the fact that it's going to cost less money. You know, you it, it's a trade-off, isn't it? You pay less money, slightly greater risk, but you pay less money. So if the if it goes badly, the loss is not as big and is not as damaging. The other thing with Darwin Nunez is I think that physically he is up to it. And and I think that's a big, big deal in the Premier League. You know, I know a lot of people 
you know, say that here in England, we undervalue the technical side. In fact, I, I agree with that statement and with that notion. I think that that's a big problem in English football, that we undervalue technical ability, tactical nous, and we place too much emphasis on physical attributes, pace, strength. Um, but I think that it does help in the Premier League. I mean, last night I described Liverpool's sort of defensive trio of Fabinho, um, sitting at the base of the midfield, Van Dijk and Matip as the land of the giants. I mean, if you're five foot six, five foot seven, with all due respect, you're going to have a difficult time, aren't you? When people are sending balls up to you to try and bring under your spell and bring under control. So I think the physicality thing, I think it is a thing. And I think that that's something that Lacazette misses. So if we can go and get a Darwin Nunez, I'd be quite happy with that because it then, um, doesn't mean that we're spending stupid amounts of money that we don't have. And perhaps we could bring in a couple of forwards. Perhaps we could bring in a forward and somebody else that is needed. You know, you've got to remember that we've got William Saliba to come back as well. So we've got a good, um, much more rounded and much more experienced centre-half to come into the squad next season as well. Um, let's see what else we've got. Lots of you asking me sort of my first choices and third choices. In different positions, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into that today, just because I want to do separate uh, episodes on that. I did one on the striker thing, um, a little while ago, actually. Let me try and just find it. Chronicles of Aguna um, strikers. What did I do? I did I did a video um, a little while back. Yeah, we looked at Lautaro Martinez. We looked at Vlavic. Um, we looked at Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Uh, here we go. Three months ago, this was a long time ago. Um, but I did a video, five strikers Arsenal should consider signing this summer. And in that video, I talked about Darwin Nunez. I talked about Jonathan David. talked about Enziri of Sevilla, uh, Alexander Isak and Dusan Vlavic. But of course, a lot has changed and happened and unfolded since then. OK, uh, let's go back to the comments. Uh, going back to that whole discussion about being negative um, off the back of um, off the back of the result against Liverpool. Uh, Olivier says, but are the fans really negative or is it a few? No, it, it is a few now. You have to say that. I think the majority of people are quite optimistic based on what they've seen in the last few weeks. But that few tend to be the louder few, don't they? And that's the, the irritating thing about it. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Um, Chris Carrick says, does it bother you as much as me when the TV pundits talk about our current good form, like it's a massive turnaround from the start of the season without noticing our, our squad is so different now? Yeah, it does. I'll tell you what it is. It's when, I don't mind when people say that we've turned it around because we have, like the, the results say that, right? But what irritates me is when they say, when they go like really um, over the top and say, this time, X amount of months ago, Arsenal were getting relegated. We were never getting relegated from the Premier League. We lost three games in the league, two of which were against Manchester City and Chelsea, the two sides who had contested the Champions League final just a few months prior. Two sides that were expected to go on and, and challenge for the Premier League title this season. Two sides with money bag squads, two sides with top, top and elite managers. Like, it, you know, we lost at Brentford. That was the only shock result, right? Of those three games at the start of the season where we were abysmal, agreed. That was the only shock result. 
was that we got beaten at Brentford. And even that, was that really a shock result? We went away to a side who were playing their first ever game in the Premier League under the lights. The atmosphere was rocking. They were a good, confident side and we were on our knees in terms of what we had available. It wasn't a shock. You know, so it, it did bother me when people were saying, Arsenal are going to get relegated, were going to get relegated and now they're challenging for the top four. No, we were never going to get relegated. It's not all, it's, it's usually not as bad as it seems at the time, but equally positives are normally not as good as they seem. So you always have to be kind of mindful of that middle ground. Let's see uh, what else we've got. Uh, Woolage Nomad says, uh, hi, Harry. What about Giovanni Simeone? from Hellas Verona, 15 goals this season, has hit double figures in consistent seasons. This is the, you say though, Willage, that he has hit double figures in consistent seasons, and I agree. But if you watch Giovanni Simeone on a regular basis, I think you'll, I don't know if you'll agree with me, but I think he's actually super inconsistent. And, and that's, that's, you know, that's strange to say because he does get the goal tallies. But if you, in fact, let me bring up his goal record um, over the last, or let, let's just look at this season. Giovanni Simeone, 26 years old, of course, son of um, the madman himself, uh, Diego Simeone. But if you, if I bring this up, okay, and we have a look. So this is what he does, okay? So he goes through these, like, runs. So he scored... Um, in a couple of games back-to-back, then didn't score for a little while. Then he got four in a game against Lazio. Four goals, which stat stat padded his figures a little bit for the season. Then he got two goals against Juventus and a goal against Napoli, then didn't score for another four weeks. Then got a couple against Venezia and then one against Atalanta and then didn't score for like seven weeks and then got a hat-trick against Venezia. So what Simeone does is like he... When I say he's inconsistent, I mean... He can be brilliant. And then, then everybody in Italy starts talking about him again. You know, is this guy the next big thing? Is he the one? And it, and then he and then he, he kind of lulls everybody into this false sense of security that he's the guy. And then he'll go X amount of weeks without contributing anything. And then he'll score a hat trick. And he stat pads, if that makes sense. Like rather than scoring on a regular basis, he could go a while, um, you know, without scoring. And then, um, and then end up, you know, bagging a hat trick, which makes it look like his average is a lot stronger than it. It probably look, uh, or it probably is in terms of how it impacts and helps his team. Uh, Gary Ellison says this guy is seriously a petulant. Twat. I don't know who you're talking about, mate. Um, anyway, uh, what else have we got? Uh, Obradek says, do I think that Ramsdale? will be affected by the mistakes he made against Liverpool. No, I don't. I think that I've said it throughout the course of the season. Aaron Ramsdale's got a mistake in him because he's it's the type of goalkeeper that he is. He does take risks. I know the goal that he conceded yesterday wasn't necessarily off the back of him taking some crazy risk. It was a lapse in concentration, I believe, um, which he then, you know, paid for by, you know, not getting the contact he wanted on the ball. Maybe he didn't react quick enough. Maybe he didn't shape his body right. I don't know what exactly went wrong. Only he will know. But I think what we've learned about Aaron Ramsdale is that he's incredibly confident in his own ability. And I expect that uh, he has the confidence and the mental strength to kind of work through this. Now, as I keep saying, the nature 
of of his game means that he will at times have mistakes. He's been lucky actually because up until this point, I can rarely think of a mistake that actually resulted in a goal. He has made them. There's been a few moments where I've had my heart in my mouth uh, with Aaron Ramsdale, but he's normally got away with it. He didn't get away with it last night. It'd be interesting to see how he bounces back, but I don't have any concerns about his mental strength and ability to overcome uh, a disappointing night and a setback. Okay, uh, I think we're going to leave it there. For some reason, I've, I've been thinking it's Friday, like on and off today. I don't know why. Maybe it's because the sun is shining. Uh, it looks great outside. Maybe I'm kind of winding down after a really busy first half of the week. But um, we will be back tomorrow with more content. I'll be down in the studio with the 90 Min guys. We'll be doing some Champions League draw reaction. And I'm sure we'll be touching on the game last night and some of the other fixtures that have taken place in midweek. I will then be back on here later on at around about 5pm for our Aston Villa preview. So please do come and join me for that. Uh, it should be good. We'll look at the game in detail as we always do. We'll talk about the tactical side of it, what we can expect and what we can hope for. I will catch you all very, very soon. Until next time, take care of yourselves, stay safe, and uh, we'll be back very soon with more Arsenal chat. Until then, goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.